folks, a very warm welcome to the latest Generation podcast. It's a podcast where we try to look at mission through a Scottish accent, through a Scottish perspective, and hopefully even bigger than that, through a kingdom perspective. We do apologise for the poor quality of our sound these days. We're not able to use our normal professional recording equipment, and so we're doing a little bit more informal. But the quality of our guest makes up for the lack of quality in our sound. Welcome to Dr. David Kirk. David is a lecturer in New Testament at the University of the Highlands and Islands, and he lectures at the Highland Theological College. Good morning, David. Good morning, David. It's good to be with you. Great. So can you tell us uh, these days exactly what's involved in your job at HTC? Well, uh, the, the main thing I do is is teach uh, undergraduates uh, at all the levels of the degree course, uh, the theological studies degree. Uh, and these days, uh, because of COVID, that's all online teaching. So I'm teaching from home and uh, all of my students, most of my students are um, in front of me virtually, uh, a screen packed with packed with faces in the bigger classes. And uh, then there, there are a few who watch the recordings. So yes, teaching is the main part of what I do. Um, a wee bit of supervision for people doing uh, research at various levels and uh, and a lot of admin as comes with any job. Okay. Uh, am I right in saying your main subject is New Testament? Yeah, so I teach New Testament studies. So, uh, so that that that's on the biblical studies side of things, and uh, teaching the uh, teaching Koine Greek as well to students who are on the Greek track. Okay, it's not. I hope it's not a, a silly question, but did you find that your academic studies killed your passion for the New Testament as a devotional uh, piece of literature, or do you not see the division? Um. I'm I'm not hesitating because uh, I'm trying to explain my, my way out of that. <laughs> uh, I, I I see I don't see any division between those two things. And in fact, I'd say that uh, I, I think that uh, understanding uh, the New Testament in its richness, not just as a a scripture, but as uh, as, as a, a kind of a collection of historical texts. Um, and, and I don't see any division between those two th- things either. I think can only enrich your understanding, enrich your devotion, uh, uh, enrich your understanding of 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 God and of uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so uh, these things, I think, I'm very passionate that that that, that students ought not to find that um, academic study kills off their devotion it, it can challenge your devotions and it can challenge the way that you look at scripture and the your understanding of uh theology of god and the church and creation but um yeah i, I think it i think understood rightly it can only enrich your devotional life okay now we have a mutual friend who will remain nameless who speaks about a whoosh moment do you ever get that when you read the bible i think what he means is a deep emotional engagement yeah um I, yeah i do uh, and, and not only when i read the bible I, I get moments like that in many other situations talking to people uh out uh on the top of a mountain or riding my bike you know i I think, you know, 
our emotions are such an important part of who we are as human beings. And I think uh, they're given by God as, as part of a full and rich human experience. And so I think, uh, I, I think they are important and they're important to engage when we study as well. And I think, um, you know, it's something I aim for my students is that, you know, whilst we are uh, doing academic study that we need to use our imagination and our Im- imagination can often fuel those emotional responses and, and, and all that needs to be done very carefully. But I, th- I think uh, I think there needs to be that well-rounded experience of the encounter with God through the scriptures and through his world and through uh, Christ in, in others, in the church. And uh, uh, yeah, so... You know, and, and I think the thing I'd want to say about that is that everyone is different. Some some people thrive on their emotions and their emotions are a huge part of, of, of their experience and, and others less so. So I think, you know, I think that's part of the richness of human experiences that we're, we're very much different kinds of people. So different people respond in different ways. And, and I think often in the church, we don't recognize that. And, uh, and people who are uh, you know, and, and that variation in how people engage with God's word and encounter God is not, is sometimes not taken into account. Right. Can can you talk a little bit about the difference between healthy emotion and emotionalism? Um, I know that, you know, I'm thinking maybe in the Celtic church tradition, Welsh evangelicalism, of which you are familiar, um, Hebridean Highland evangelicalism, there's a lot about emotion. Can you talk us just through what your thoughts are on maybe the good, uh, the bad, and, and frankly, sometimes the ugly? <laughs> oh, well, um, Let's try and stay positive. I mean, I think emotions are hugely important. I think I think uh, any any kind of Christian experience that denies the importance of the emotions, uh, I think emotions are, as I said, a part of who we are as human beings. And certainly, you know, it's um, we see emotions in the life of Jesus Christ, and of course, we get those anthropomorphic uh, motifs applied to to God. Uh, in the Old Testament as well, and so we can talk about emotions as as not only God given but as good and right. And uh, you know, the, the systematic theologians will be uh, is pricking up talking about God's emotions. But I think um, whatever we whatever we say about that, they are important. And I think they, they it's important that people have an opportunity to respond emotionally in worship and and i think that that can be frowned upon um however yeah as you said there are there are dangers in that i mean you know some people are very overtly emotional and want to display that you know outwardly uh, and that can be quite intrusive and and sometimes people can feel emotional pressure to be involved in kind of overt displays of emotion. And, and as I've said, everyone's different. Not everybody feels comfortable, uh, uh, displaying their emotions. So I think, you know, we do need to tread carefully with that. Um, so yeah, as with many things, it's about avoiding extremes and avoiding kind of prescriptions of how things ought to be that, that don't allow for that, a deep, rich variety in, in, in people and in their personalities. 
in the church i i you know i mean i'm sure that somebody who's done a lot of reflection on human psychology would be much more useful to you in answering that question but but those are those are just a few of my own thoughts right okay however much i'm uh, tempted to go out on a wing here and divine impassibility uh i i will not do that just now no, i knew you i knew you'd be tempted on that uh, front, yeah, yeah. But i'm not going to yield to temptation just now should should a preacher um deliberately try to elicit an emotional response from his congregation Silence. again it- yeah, well, well, again, it's 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 about avoiding it's, it's about avoiding pitfalls, isn't it? I mean, you know, if you say no, then you can end up with a with a sermon which is very dry and unengaging because because actually the preaching of the word of God is something that we encounter at a very deep level, and so you know, a, a, a preacher has to be aware that that is something which is um, is desirable. You know, you're not just aiming for a kind of mental assent to a set of truths, but rather the engagement of the whole person. And and again, there's there's you know, emotions is just one side of that. We can talk about uh, we can talk about the kind of physical environment of worship and and um, you know f- uh, things like posture, people you know like standing in worship or kneeling in worship, and and just the importance of aesthetics in worship. You know, uh, and the emotions are just a part of that kind of rounded rich human um experience of uh of, of worship of being together and i think um i think i think you know again there's there's dangers in in relying on kind of uh driving an emotional response that's not rooted in 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 anything solid in in any in the expression of any truth uh the reflection on any and any scriptural truth um but uh, you know, I, 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 I th- so 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 you know, as with all things, as a kind of Scylla and Charybdis, we have to sail between the two. You know, the, we've got to avoid the, the 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 rocks on the rocks and the monsters on both sides, and and just try to aim for some for some balance. Yeah, um, a fascinating uh, discussion here. So, would you say that you know you spoke about environment there and aesthetics? You know, I think of. You know, you have stories of the Covenanters worshipping out in uh, the hillside, uh, stories of uh, the destruction, you know, evicted people having open-air sermons and the snow Mm -hmm. falling down. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a touch of God when the aesthetic was sometimes not all that positive. So do aesthetics really inform worship? I think worshiping, worshiping, worshiping outside in the examples you just gave brings its own aesthetics. I think you know some of some of my most deep spiritual experiences have have taken place in church buildings, but probably some of some of them have definitely, and some of the most memorable have taken place outside. Okay, uh, change it a little bit, mix it up a little bit. Say you're you're preaching in a you know a, a West Highland church, and you just smell the damp as you go in. There's steam coming <laughs> off the, the lectern. You know the the wheels, the 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 walls are peeling. Um, it's not a great environment. Mm-hmm. Does that influence the I don't know the the spirituality of a moment? 
I think it would depend on the person. You know, some people that, that bothers people a lot more. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think it has to. You know, I mean, think. You know, I think this is where it's good to think about our kind of, uh, uh, you know, the church, our, our, our brothers and sisters worldwide. You know, many of them have to meet in 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 situations which are deeply unpleasant, mm-hmm. uh, with with dangers at every hand, and 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 a bit more than you know damp and and mildew and 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 i think i think it is i mean what you can probably say is is that you know for someone who's a a christian and is seeking the lord in 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 all situations these things ought not to be a a a hindrance i I think often there's a story that goes behind that i know what you're you're kind of getting at i guess in in our experience there's a story that goes behind those kind of situations which is which is often a, a sad story where you know the reason why the church is in a state of disrepair is because there's very few people there and because mm-hmm. uh, there's there's very little expectation that outsiders might uh, come in people seeking to know the christian truth people out with the church the, the church community and, and and i think for for people like that coming into that situation when our general context is that our houses are dry and, and well painted and looked after is that well why is the church like this and so i think it depends it very much depends whose eyes you're looking through in those kind of situations yeah um, to get that broader perspective now a, a lot of folk listening will know who you are and uh, many perhaps will not can you just give us a little insight into your own spiritual journey and um, specifically how and when did you become a christian um that's hard to say, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can almost hear you thinking, you know, will you say, well, actually, before the creation of the world, uh, at my baptism? That, well, no, that probably wouldn't wouldn't be one of my answers. Um, at I, you your know, baptism? You, you know, when? Yeah, so so again, you know, I, I, I guess the interesting thing about answering that question is that is that for many years I would have given you a date at which I can yeah. still remember, the 10th of April, 1979, you know. Um, you know, I was a, I was a young boy, and I, I prayed a prayer, um, and and you know th- there was a definite uh, experience of God's peace in the praying of that prayer, led my, by my uh, godly mother, and um, you know my mother and father brought me up in in church. You know, I, I can't think of a time when I uh, I didn't believe. You know, and and, and I think that's many people's experience and so in a sense I, I know people get twitchy if you talk like this but in a sense you know I was I was brought up as a Christian yeah and um you know I, I think that probably that on that date I, I reached some further degree of assurance and, and 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 personal further degree of personal faith but um you know I, I think like many people it's, it's very difficult for me to think of when I became a Christian, I, I, I think I can see at various points in my life that uh, my faith developed. And, and I think for many people brought up in the church, that question of when did you become a Christian is quite a difficult question to, to answer. And I, and I know that, you know, I, I know that there's, there's, there's a kind of, um, there's a worry that, you know, to talk like that is to sink into some kind of nominalism that, you know, you were brought up as a Christian and so you're a Christian and there's no need for faith. But I think I think that the danger, on the other hand, is if you always want to know when someone's become a Christian, it can be quite hard to 
to kind of reconcile that with a kind of covenantal theology of of, of children born in covenant with God. And of course, that's my position now, uh, but wasn't when I was a, a young Christian and, and, and for, for much of my kind of growing up and into my uh, into my working life. And it's something I guess I've come to much later. And so I, I kind of look, I can, I can kind of retro, uh, uh, retrospect, I, I look in retrospect with a kind of different outlook on my, the experiences of my youth. But, but very much, you know, very very much the circumstance, you know, the circumstance I grew up in. As I went to a Sunday school where everyone had two birthdays, and so in Sunday school you sang Happy Birthday on someone's actual birthday, and you sang Happy Birthday on on someone's second birthday, you know, when they'd been born again. And you know, for for someone who, you know, so so in a way you kind of had to have a date. You had to have a date, and you had to have a second birthday. And and I think for a lot of folk, that's that's a deeply unhelpful way of looking at things. You no, know, I think that mirrors my own experience almost mm-hmm. exactly. And mm-hmm. I think these days I react against stylized conversion stories or testimonies mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. speak about a dramatic event. Yeah. You know, folk talk about a Saul of Tarsus experience. Mm-hmm. Well, you're the New Testament scholar, but... Uh, I reckon that there's a lot of things going on in Paul's life before that and mm-hmm. after that, mm-hmm. and you know uh, his, his morphing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could even argue, you know, uh, did he become a Christian or did he become a fulfilled Jew? That's another interesting mm-hmm. debate that we wouldn't mm-hmm. go into. But would you agree that even you know Paul's story was more gradualist than dramatic? Well, Paul's story is definitely dramatic. Um, there's no other word for it. And I, and I think it's to sense the drama in those kind of stories is something that I want my students to, you know, when we study Pauline theology, Pauline theology is, 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 is you know, is, uh, I mean, you can use different words, a, a treasure trove or a minefield. You know, it, it's certainly the, you know, it's a very large map set out before a student that can be difficult to explore. But one of the things that I think, you know, the students always enjoy is to think about who Paul was and just the, the drama of that uh, experience on the Damascus Road. Um so there's definitely drama there, but but again, you know, to make that a paradigm for conversion is is, is difficult on a number of levels, you know. And you know, it's it's one of the things that's often bothered me about the portrayal of Paul so often in the church that he's, you know, Paul's cast as this kind of deeply ugly character who couldn't care less about God's people and he's all over the shop and then he meets Jesus and he's a kind of reformed character. You know, Paul was zealous for the God of Israel before he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. What drove him was a concern for the glory of the God of Israel. And and Paul was well-educated, was already a theologian. Um, and and you know his his outlook and and all those paradigms in his theology were were all dismantled uh, to some degree and reassembled uh, by his encounter with Christ. But his so many of his fundamental beliefs remained the same. Um, so so that the basic framework within those thi- within which those things existed, so much of it remained the same. He believed in this in the same God, uh, and again, you might want to qualify that, but the, the same God, but but seen in a different way, 
because of his encounter with Jesus. And I think obviously Paul then, I think Paul reflected on, 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 on the implications of that meeting with the risen Jesus Christ. And so there was a gradualist element to the development of Paul's theology as well. But, but it, it bothers me that Paul's so-called, you know, and there's a big debate, is Paul called or converted? What's the best word to describe what happens there? Um, I think it's, it troubles me that that so often becomes a paradigm for conversion, which, um, you know, which is, which is a huge part of the evangelical identity is, is that, is that uh, belief in dramatic conversion. And, and, and I must say, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that bothers me. Okay. Can I push back a wee bit? You know, the main emphasis of our podcast is, is mm-hmm. your mission. Um, since you sort of moved out of pastoral ministry mm-hmm. into academic ministry, would you say that mission was still a burning part of of your life and of your calling? Yeah. Um yeah, I think so. Um, but I guess what I'd want to say is that, you know, mission doesn't make any sense unless it unless it's conceived within the framework of ecclesiology of what the church is. You know, mission is an activity of the church because it's an activity of God through the church. But the but the church is such an important part of that, and so mission needs to be contextualised more broadly. So. You know, and, and every part of the body, as Paul's keen to point out, has a part to play in the life and mission of the church. Um, so, so yes, I, I guess you know, uh, you know, t- teaching in academia is is, is very different to uh, you know pastoral ministry, and pastoral ministry for one person can be very different to to, to someone else depending on gifts. But all of these things play into the mission of the church. And I think mission needs to be broadly conceived uh, because mission can't be reduced to, a, to just a simple set of activities. Um, so, so, so I guess, you know, um, my, the role that I believe in Christ has called me to uh, is, uh, is at the moment to, 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 um, to help to teach and to train uh, those who will become many of the folk becoming you know uh, going into pastoral ministry going into other forms of ministry and you know all of this is preparing people for work in the church and for the activity of the church in mission um so yeah um yeah i mean i'm glad that you you said there about the church being the heart of mission and and the local church which brings me over to i mean you've had experience of lots of churches you're uh, now very very old and very very wise and <laughs> you know you, again you you've experienced lots of different types of churches and lots of different traditions and in areas can you just maybe summarize for me what you think irrespective of the tradition or polity of a church, maybe, you know, maybe not nine marks of, of, of a church, but can you just highlight one or two marks that you would say make a church healthy? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's a huge, <laughs> that's a huge question. <laughs> one or two things that make a church healthy. I mean, 
you know, I, 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 I guess you'd want to caveat that by saying that we, we're so often deeply unhealthy, no matter our tradition and background. And I think, you know, part, part, of, part of being a healthy church is, is perhaps uh, uh, there's some conundrum here, but, but, it, but in recognising that, uh, you know, s- s- you know s- we've, we've always got issues that we need to be aware of, our, our weaknesses, you know, that our, our potential for self-glorification and, and our potential to lose sight of the, the servant calling of the church and the prophetic calling of the church. So I, I so I think, uh, I think, um, I think, you know, I'd maybe want to pick out that, that, that kind of humility, uh, that, that quite humility uh, in, 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 in a church's way in which it conceives of itself, you know, um, yeah, and and obviously you know, there's so much you could say, but I th- I think I think there needs to be a, a reverence, obviously a reverence for God, a, 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 and and that maybe is the flip side of that coin, you know, uh, a reverence for God and a reverence for His Word, um, a, a seriousness about about what we're doing, and 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 again, there's more you'd want to say about that because that can become a that can become a a, a doer seriousness that has no room for. Um, kind of genuine emotion and humor and all these important things that make make up being being human i i think i think we we, we need uh, you know ch- churches need to understand that, that that they are called to live you know uh, one of the one of the little phrases that that, that uh, you know I, I often reflect on is this idea of the whole of life to the glory of god and i, I think of, there's a tendency in the church to be reductionist you know that we want everyone to be and again you know maybe this is going to sound a bit controversial we want everyone to be you know evangelists you know we want everyone to be effective evangelists um okay and, well, what and, would and, be, and, that would be that would be one of my lines although it wouldn't be effective yeah. evangelists so push back on me a wee bit um it seems to me it's only natural mm-hmm. that you know christianity is uh a faith that wants to replicate. So I'm kind of pushing back on you a wee bit on that one. Can you can you unpack it? Yeah. So so I'm not disagreeing that we do want people to be effective evangelists, but we seem a little bit less concerned often for people to be effective teachers or effective doctors or effective uh, joiners or effective. Uh, well, let's get out of the the realm of employment. L- effective husbands, effective uh, wives, and you know, effective maybe is not the right word there, but faithful and genuine, and 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 artists and um, scientists, and 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 for our children to be effective or or or, or kind of um, yeah, effective students to to be able to to go to school and to to understand the whole of their human experience within the framework of their Christianity, what it means to be a human being from a Christian point of view. Yeah, I think I, I get what you're seeing—a kind of worldview there and uh, maybe dismantling of a false mm-hmm. dichotomy between the sacred mm-hmm. and the secular. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, you asked me before, trying not to think about traditions and things, but that's why traditions are important because, you know, traditions um, traditions are, are, 
are the kind of uh, you know the, the 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 kind of guardians of certain worldviews, certain ways of looking at things, and 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 one of the balances we need to strike in the church is this broad-hearted ecumenism um, for the family of God around the world, the people of God, the Christian Church in in all of its expressions, and have listening ears and generous hearts to those who are in different traditions, but we also need to be able to to talk about the strengths and weaknesses of um of traditions and especially of our own traditions and we're not always very good at that um and so i think you know it, it is that construction one of the things that you know certainly within the reformed tradition has a strong place in certain expressions in the reformed tradition is this construction of a of a Christian worldview. And, uh, you know, obviously that's very strong in the Roman Catholic tradition as well. I mean, a slightly different result maybe comes from that, but, um, you know, we need to have an expat. And I guess, you know, going back to your, your, you know, what makes a healthy church, I think an expansive, an expansive vision of the, the, the implications of faith for life, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I was preaching last Sunday morning on, community the the pastor asked me to speak on community as a spiritual discipline and at the prayer meeting last night there was a discussion on visiting you know ministers visiting people and the guy who was talking said he'd read a book that said younger folk weren't really into visits whereas older folk were that that's by and by uh, but the the point is that even if a younger generation say they're not into community, do we have a choice? I mean, it is a spiritual discipline. So whether we're, we're into it or not, are we not got to try and intentionally create community? And where I'm connecting here is to what extent is community a sign of a healthy church and how do we create that community in uh, 2020? Yeah, I think community is a sign of a healthy church, um, undoubtedly. You know, the church is fundamentally a, f- a fellowship, a, a koinonia, a, a, a sharing of life. And, you know, um, as with all things, the, the, the reality of that that will one day be is our ideal as we try to envisage, you know, f- uh, from the scriptures and from our own reflection, from our own experience on the scriptures and the truths that we see there, that, that that's our goal. Uh, this this loving community, this serving community where people serve one another, uh, do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. Um, you know, so that's that's our that's our goal. But 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 what we wrestle with is is how that looks within our own kind of cultural societal settings and i think you know sometimes there are there are things in our culture which are which are are kind of helpful and 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 other things we need to challenge and i think one of the things in our own culture is is this kind of um you know the the the, the, it's difficult to discern the kind of currents of cult culture because sometimes (laughs) you get the impression that there is a, a, a kind of yearning for community amongst the young uh, but you all, you, I think this one of the challenges of our current cultural setting is is a kind of disparate nature. It's difficult to talk about one culture, but there is definitely a kind of uh, an isolation that can come. You know, 
and I think for many people, this is this is a real experience and isolation from neighbours, a distrust of others. You know, you, you see these currents that, that pull people apart. And I think the church needs to recognise that it's called to be fundamentally a community, that to be a Christian is to be part of uh, a, a, a community which is which expresses a different set of values which lives which marches to a different uh, drumbeat which 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 sets a different agenda for what it means to be human and and what we're seeking out of life and i think yeah i i think i think uh, a church's community is 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 fundamental to that but even saying that you you want to balance that with 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 the with 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 people's lives in the in, in the wider community and, th- and this is where there needs to be balance and this grand vision for what it means to be a christian in the world is a christian is is loyal to christ and and the church is their is their first community but they also belong to other communities the community where they live their their, their wider friends and neighbors the, the the nation within which they live their citizens they they have a role to play in in the democratic process uh you know that their employees or employers and i think you know this goes back to my earlier point that sometimes we expect people to show a kind of uh, such a commitment to church activities that they end up in a kind of monasticism, mm. um, a, a kind of new Protestant monasticism where everything that people do is in the church. The way that they conceive of themselves is is as church people evangelizing a, a, a kind of or, or, or church people living in a world which they don't have much to do with. And I think, you know, we need to balance these two things out. I think, you know, one of the one of the books I've read in the past few years, which uh, which really got me thinking about this a lot, is Michael Horton's uh, Ordinary, and you know I tried to urge people to to read that book. I think it's, I think it's a it's a really timely. Well, for me at the time, it was a timely book about the difference between a kind of uh, activist Christian movement that sees itself as radical. Uh, and 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 uh, 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 the kind of reformed, more reformed way of looking at things, which is which is which is to do with you know the reformed emphasis on the holiness of all callings and 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 the goodness of ordinary things, ordinary family life, ordinary work, and I think in a frantic world, often activist church life just becomes an absolute pressure cooker. And I think mm-hmm. part right. of our part of our calling is to be. It's the world that's radical. <laughs> the church's calling is to be ordinary. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I can put it that way. Yeah, great. Uh, another thing I, I want to talk to you about is the rural experience. I mean, you you've got a lot of a lot of your life, maybe even going on to half your life these days, has been lived in rural environments. You lived in the Uists. For many years in South Uist, you live now in rural Ilocaber. Uh, we're in lockdown. Um, in a previous existence, I think you you were into transport. That was one of your, your interests and in joining things up. So you know, all your life you join things up, cities up, people up. Um, is there a particular challenge in rural ministry, in rural church, and rural life? I'm thinking especially maybe about the the highlands and islands. Yeah, I think I think there are there are uh, great challenges. I think there are great opportunities. I think there's a great richness. I, you know, I I grew up in the I grew up in the countryside. Of yeah, my 
most of my experience has been, you know, I've, I've lived in cities, but um, yeah, I've lived a lot of my life in the countryside. And I think there are, uh, there are great riches in our engagement with the natural world that, that comes from living in the country. It, you know, I think that it's, it's a wonderful thing. And I, and I think, um, you know, I think it's, 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 it's becoming a, apparent just you know the, the the disconnection between so many people and 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 the kind of natural world is 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 what's led us over decades to the situation in which we are now where uh you know people have very little uh m- many people feel disconnected from the natural world and therefore their appreciation of it and and the understanding of of its precious value is, is is just not there right but for mini- yeah. but for, for, for ministry in in rural communities you know the challenges are people are spar- sparse are spread about you know they can be sparse delivering ministry especially you know if the church if the church is you know in in years gone by when the the, the church church attendance was high and so the church could afford many ministers uh, you know, in sparsely populated areas, things are a lot easier. These days, it's a lot more challenging. And I think uh, it, it pains me to say it in some ways. Uh, but I think, you know, technology is one of the, is one of the you know, um, I'm not a fan of the virtual world, but, but, but technology is something that can, you know, help us in that it's certainly a challenge uh, it's certainly a challenge and and i think one of the things that there is to build on in the, in, in in rural ministry is this idea of community because mm-hmm. often in rural areas you know you do find this greater sense of of community yeah um, when you lived in in Uist, i mean uh, our listeners here are from all over the world Uists are right at the edge of you know, uh, the UK and, and a good day you can see St Kilda. Um, mm-hmm. Did you feel at any time you were at a disadvantage living in such a remote area? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I think wherever you live, that there are advantages and disadvantages. You know, things which you love about the place that you live and things which are challenging. And I think, you know, for people who who move about, you know, I, I think that that that's you know it's adjusting to new places which which is very rewarding but can also be you know a, a challenge um yeah and you know yeah i i think of course of course there are there are times that you do feel um you know living in a i mean you was just quite extreme when you're thinking of you know the uk and 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 just how peripheral you can be you know you're you're, you're sitting out there in the atlantic and, and and that has in the north atlantic and and and, and that is a wonderful thing in its uniqueness and in the, in the uniqueness of its beauty and the uniqueness of the people out there and the communities out there and the wonderful kind of human interaction you have and and the the cultural heritage and richness but again you know if you're not from that place that can be you know that, that it can be a challenge to negotiate that and and you know um roots are important for people so i think one of the challenges of living in in a place like you is is, is that you you see that these people with a strong rootedness in the land and the landscape in the language in the in the in the culture in the music and um and you appreciate all of these things but you you know that they're not yours, and and I think it's 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 one of these 
you know, it's, it's, it's a tension in all our experiences wherever we live, you know, of, 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 especially if you move around this tension between kind of new things and, and, and old things and, and rootedness and, and, uh, and, and flexibility. And, and I think there's some fascinating uh, things there and and the church the church in rural in rural communities needs to to reflect on these things as well because uh, the church needs to needs to minister to people who are from these deeply rooted kind of families that go back generations and also um to be uh open and uh and welcoming to 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 incomers and and often there can be Pressures generated, and uh, you know as well as I do, in parts of the Highlands by these kind of issues. And the church needs to be very aware of of, of, of all the aspects of this. So, th- so there are some u- unique challenges in rural ministry, just as there are unique challenges in in, in urban ministry as well. But, but I think you know, so, so th- there's a lot of thought and a lot of um, effort, rightly, going into urban ministry, and uh, and it's good to see. That there is that, that that there is reflection on the challenges of rural ministry as well. Yeah, do you think there should be a priority for urban? Um, yeah, it depends uh, what context you're talking about. If we were talking about the free church, then I think I think urban ministry is hugely important. But I think also, you know, there has to be that recognition that, um, you know. The free church historically has has been a has been more a Highland church, and the many of the the riches and and the and the resources of the free church are coming from, or have historically come from Highland congregations. And I think, um, you know, it, it, as with as with all things, it's it's a balance, a balance. So I think if if urban ministry begins to uh, begins to um, adversely affect the kind of you know. The, you know the 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 kind of uh, ministry in, in in rural places again yeah, I, I guess it will adversely affect to some degree but but it's about finding the right balance and i think yeah it's not, it's not an either or you know i'm quite no. strong on this and mm-hmm. you know for historical reasons we do have a presence in places like Werg and Kyle and Betty Hill and mm-hmm. uh, you know Gardenston, um, and that that is a good thing. You know, I don't want a denomination where all the pastors have got to be within you know fifty yards of a Starbucks and everybody <laughs> stares into their 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 MacBook Pros. You know, I think we've got to realise it if we have any you know, aspirations to be a national church. We've got to move into all these areas. Um, so just sort of wind, winding up, The one of the things about UHI is it is uh, multi-campus. It's all over the Highlands and Islands. In, in a sense, it was designed for a situation like COVID and, and lockdown. How, how have you found... Family life, church life, working life since March. Yeah, I guess all interviews have a COVID section these days. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly work, I think, um, just as you say, because of the way UHI has been set up from the beginning, I think, uh, you know, UHI has already been delivering 
materials across a, a you know a, a network of campuses and, and and it's been easier to move that so that students can access from home um and and to negotiate that so yeah you know, I, I think again, it, it will affect different people in different ways. For myself, you know, I, I, I'm I'm quite used to working from home, but I do miss, I do miss, um, I do miss colleagues. I miss seeing people. Um, I miss church a great. We've been back at church the last few weeks, and it's it's very odd, not singing and things. But um, you know, it's just uh, just quite moving you know the, the verse that came to mind when i sat in church one of the first times and and, and the you know, the pianist was playing some amazing arrangement of a, of some uh, hymn tune as we reflected um uh was you know if 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 these people keep silent even the stones will cry out and i just mm-hmm. felt the stones of the building were just on the verge of crying out because we we, we couldn't sing you know it was just a just felt this real kind of yeah, just um, qu- quite a moving experience. So, so yeah, so but you know, um, very thankful to be in a place where you know we have space and um, you know I, I I think you know the whole situation has been very very challenging for a lot of people and you, and you see that now just in, in 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 just how folks are struggling to. I think with the best will in the world that most people want to support the the, the wider community by, by, by being sensible. And, uh, but, but I think it's a huge burden on people. Um, and, and there are many, many people really struggling. So, um, so yeah, so for, for me, you know, work's carried on and, um, f- f- it's been great to see family. So yes, much, much, much less of a burden than for, for many folk. Okay, David. Well, our, our time is, is running out. It's not a friend today. Our 40 minutes have been used up. Um, thank you so much for joining me. I mean, as always, our conversation has been wide ranging. Um, that was that was the that was the uh, that was the phrase in my mind. It certainly has been wide ranging. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you've touched on a lot of things, and I just hope it gets folk up there thinking um, and the great thing about the Christian faith is it's a wide ranging faith and it touches all these issues so it should be yeah thanks yeah. for joining me and uh, wish you every blessing for the rest of the semester it's a it's a pleasure David and uh, yeah it's been great to speak to you and I, and I wish you uh, and all of the listeners uh, the Lord's blessing too so thanks thanks